It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane. Welcome to the Class Teaching Podcast, the Durrington Research School podcast. It aims to explore educational research and provide insights into how being an evidence-informed practitioner can support teaching and learning. Educational research does not provide a silver bullet, but coupled with teacher expertise, it can provide us with tried and tested approaches that the evidence suggests may lead to promising outcomes. In each episode, we will draw upon the experience of a teacher with particular expertise in the area we are looking at. Darrington High School is a large coastal secondary comprehensive school based in West Sussex and has been designated a research school by the Education Endowment Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at Durring Research. The purpose of this podcast is to help busy teachers like you connect with the latest thinking around ideas in teaching. In an accessible and easy format, we realise there is a wealth of blogs being published every week. The Class Teaching Podcast will start with me reading a blog and then spending some time with the author unpicking their thinking. This way you can listen on the drive to work or while walking the dog, rather than having to find the time to sit down in front of your screen during a busy day. Why most teacher CPD fails and what we might be able to do about it by Sean Allison. As a research school, we spend a great deal of our time reading, listening and talking about effective teacher development. This blog is an attempt to summarise the brilliant work from a number of super colleagues that is helping to shape our thinking. Mike Hobbis, Becky Allen and Sam Sims on habit, formation and teacher development. Their work suggests that the performance of teachers improves rapidly in the early years of their careers, but then begins to plateau from years three to four onwards. None of this is surprising. If you don't improve in the early years of your teaching, it will become quite a miserable job. So to bring about this improvement, novice teachers are supported to focus on specific aspects of their teaching and then receive regular feedback on how successful it is. This feedback might come from an observer or how well the students respond to it. Based on this feedback, they will either ditch their approach or refine it. The approaches that appear to work will then be subject to very deliberate practice day after day and lesson after lesson, and eventually over time, they'll become a habit. The fact that these approaches novice teachers are focusing on, whether they be focusing on managing behaviour or developing pedagogy, they become habitual and is useful in some ways. It means they don't have to think about them and so can focus on other things in the classroom. This does, however, present a problem. Habits are hard to break, so when we try to get teachers to embed new approaches into their teaching, what we are trying to get them to do is to break some habits and form new ones, which is difficult. Most CPD that teachers engage with will fail at this because A, it doesn't target a specific approach, B, it doesn't give focused feedback on that new approach, and C, it doesn't provide the opportunity for teachers to engage in deliberate practice in a sustained and focused way over time. All too often, CPD is too general and short-lived, and so won't support habit formation. Harry Fletcher Wood suggests that we should be rethinking the idea of effective CPD. Harry suggests that the best way to identify effective CPD is to look for two things, evidence of impact, has the programme been shown to have an impact on student attainment? And evidence of mechanism. 
We know from psychology and behaviour science that lasting change requires the formation of new habits and then repeating an action in context. When schools get this right, it is possible to reduce the plateauing effect on teacher development. Kraft and Papai suggest that if you work in a school with a rich professional culture, rather than plateauing, you will have a better chance of continuing to get better and better as a teacher. This is important because the quality of teaching matters to student attainment. Becky Allen is quoted saying, the overall attainment in a school deteriorates when the measurably effective teachers leave the school and the attainment of pupils in school increases when teachers who are effective in other settings arrive in the school. So what can schools do to stop the plateau and help more of their teachers to develop their practice and become more effective over time? According to Sam Sims, the answer lies with instructional coaching. And he quotes instructional coaching as, in terms of the impact on student outcomes, instructional coaching has a better evidence base than any other form of CPD. The Ambition Institute state, the principles of instructional, instructional coaching are linked to the principles of developing expertise in any domain through the use of deliberate practice. The first step is to identify a destination or an outcome, often called the target performance. Teachers can move from their current performance towards this target performance by practicing a sequence of sub-goals with the aid of a coach. This allows them to overcome existing ingrained habits and adopt new behaviours. The input of the coach is in observing the practitioner's current performance, setting precise sub-goals and designing practice. They summarise the process of instructional coaching as one, identify and clearly define the target performance. Two, identify the biggest gap between the target and current performance. Three, break this down into components which can be practised. Four, design that practice. Five, facilitate practice in controlled conditions. And six, give feedback and increase complexity of practice. This is different from other forms of coaching that schools might have tried in the past, where perhaps a coach will sit with a coachee and try to draw out the solution through asking open questions. With instructional coaching, the coach will have a level of expertise in the area and the coach, that the coachee is looking to develop. They will identify the specific area of focus for the coachee and design a practice drill for them. Furthermore, there is an expectation that the practice will take place in controlled conditions outside of the lessons, i.e. the teacher will rehearse their explanation or questioning in front of their coach and receive feedback. This will be repeated until it has become embedded. Instructional coaching appears to work because it replicates the habit-forming approach that teachers adopt in the earliest of their career. Try the new approach, get feedback, ditch or refine, practice a little bit more, get feedback, refine, repeat. This makes it a very attractive proposition for schools in terms of embedding an effective approach to teacher development. Like all things though, how successful it is will be dependent on how effectively it is implemented. However, if the claims about how effective instructional coaching can be are right, it's an endeavour that is worth our time and effort. The ideas around habit formation and teacher development have implications for organisations who deliver CPD too, such as our research school. Our training is delivered with this in mind. As well as delivering input, a significant part of our training focuses on helping leaders to clarify the root cause of the issue they are looking to address. The training is sustained over time, allowing us to build a good relationship with delegates. So at the moment, our training programs are made up of nine two-hour modules. 
In between the modules, delegates are offered one-to-one -one bespoke support via Zoom at the moment, which usually takes the form of coaching conversation. Delegates are supported to refine the issue further and then commit to specific actions to address it. As they implement these new approaches back at their school, they are encouraged to get feedback on, on its impact and use this to refine the approach further. This is an exciting time for teacher development. Using the evidence in this way will undoubtedly help more teachers to improve over time, which, which will in turn impact on the attainment of more students. Hi, so I'm joined now by Sean Allison, the director of the Durrington Research School. Um, so first of all, Sean, I just wanted to sort of ask a little bit about uh, why this, why now in terms of the blog focus? Um, I think that there's a number of reasons. I think firstly, it's a kind of natural evolution of the evidence-informed agenda. So if we think back to what's happened within teaching, um, you know, we've gone from you know, doing you know, what we think was you know, the, the best thing in, in terms of how to teach, you know, all with the very best intentions, to now using evidence to shape how, how we teach and you know, what the best bets are from evidence around effective teaching. And I think that's happening with CPD. I think over, over years, I mean, I've been responsible for leading CPD in schools for um, many years now. And I think that you know, that has followed a similar pattern. A lot of the CPD has been you know, based on you know, what we think is the best approach. But I think that what we're starting to do now is in the same way that we're using evidence to inform our teaching, we're using evidence to inform our CPD. And yeah, there's some you know, pretty strong evidence around habit formation and teacher development now, which you know, we'd be um, silly to ignore really in, in terms of CPD. And there are people that have been doing some fantastic thinking and some fantastic writing around it. So people like Harry Fletcher Wood, Becky Allen, Sam Sims, Mike Hobbis, all people that I you know, reference in the blog that are um, you know, really, really moving things on. Yeah, so I think that's, that's why it's, it's important. Um, and, and also the, the, you know, the first graph on the blog you know, highlights the issue to me really that you know, teacher performance tends to plateau after about you know, three or four years. And that's completely understandable because it's a hard job to do teaching um, and you have to get good at it really quickly. Otherwise, it's even harder, isn't it? So, you know, people form all those habits which help them to become more effective in the classroom. And you know, then those habits become embedded and then it's hard to change those habits and it becomes harder to in introduce new habits. So that, that's why we see that, that plateau, I think. But then if we have a look at that, that research, you know, further on from that, um, yeah, what we can see, if, if, the, if, if the CPD culture is right in the school, then that plateau doesn't have to be there. Um, yeah, so I think it's it, you know, really, really exciting times in terms of teacher development. Um, a lot of thinking going on about it and a lot of really, really important work. Is that why you think that year three, four, where they've sort of developed those habits, it's really important to try and get in there? Because if you sort of leave it too long, like you say, those habits that are already there are then much more difficult to dispel and, and embed new ones. Do you think it's a really crucial time, that, that phase? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, you know, we can see, you know, lots of parallels with that, can't we? You know, after you start driving, 
you know, yeah. after you pass your test, you know, after about you know, three or four years, if, if somebody asked you to do something you know, differently, you'd struggle with that, wouldn't you? Because it's, it's you know, become a habit. And, and it's, it's you know, no different with um, teaching. And, I, and I'm sure as a sportsman, you know, for those people that, that don't know, um, James is a semi-professional football player. Um, you know, you've seen that yourself. Yeah, um, and, and that's, what, that's one of the major things. I think we'll come on to it in a minute when we start to look at the difference between instructional coaching and what coaching used to be or coaching has been like uh, stereotypically in a school setting. So in football, if, if there's a mistake that a team are making, um, and I think of football as, a, as an obvious example in terms of your, your shipping in goals, where you're conceding goals, where the, the centre-half or the defender are making the same mistakes what you would do then as the coach of that team, you would identify there as an issue. You wouldn't then say to the defender, what are all the issues going on here? It would be quite black and white, and it'd be, this is the issue that we've got. We need to address this issue quite quickly. And then you would have specific training sessions and activities that you would do with that specific defender or with the defensive unit, um, and they would get feedback on how they're doing with those activities. And then the aim would be eventually to see an improvement in the overall game, and you wouldn't be conceding as many goals. But that instructional coaching element would be that the coach would then say to the defender, this is the issue, this is what we're going to do. And then you would practice in a small scale those elements of defending prior to looking at them in the game next time, as opposed to just carrying them with what you've always done. Yeah, and I think that's exactly that that interests me about instructional coaching as a, as a CPD model, because I think you know, where we've got it wrong as a profession, often you know, the advice is you know, we need to get better at teaching or that's directed at a teacher, you know, you need to improve your teaching, etc. Well, you know, where do you start from that? It's, it's, it's you know, too broad, isn't it? And, you know, that's what's nice about instructional coaching is that it you know, narrows it down to a very, very specific uh, um, focus and then supports the teacher um, in terms of practising that. Now, you know, I think there are some inherent challenges with that as a school, um, you know, making sure that that is implemented effectively, but but that's uh, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, what what do you see as the sort of major challenges that that, that come into instructional coaching? I think that, I mean, the obvious ones. Um, if you're going to do it well, I think it it needs time. Um, and you know, time is always an issue in in school, isn't it? I think that um, there will be some work to do around the idea of that the practice has to happen in controlled conditions. Yeah, because yeah, I think that's something that we haven't, haven't done as a profession. So, you know, what might happen is you, know, you might get some feedback about your questioning after a lesson observation, and then the next lesson you, know, you might try to improve it, and it happens like that. Whereas, you know, with the instructional approach at uh, the instructional coaching approach it's it's about having that conversation um, around the practice and then practicing that with your coach in a controlled condition so if you know you were coaching me that you know might be me practicing my questions um, in, in, in front of you and, and I think that's that's yeah that's not to say that the you know, teachers and leaders haven't done that but I think for a lot of people, that would be quite an unusual way of yeah. working. I think also there's the there's a bit of a stigma issue. Mm. Um, I think we have to you know move away from the idea that 
in instructional coaching is 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 only aimed at you know people who are underperforming or yeah. you know whatever in you know, the words of Dylan William and, and yeah that's not to say that it isn't a useful tool for that of course it is but you know Dylan William yeah, talks a lot doesn't he about you know all of us should be trying to get better all the time yeah. so it doesn't matter if you've been teaching one year three years ten years twenty years there's always something that all of us can be getting better at so you know breaking down that that stigma is important and that's a cultural thing for schools to be thinking about isn't it? yeah and I think that's one of the major positives I think of a lot of teachers that that you know and you speak about or, or people that look into this sort of thing um they, they see teaching as there's no end goal it's not like I've got it now I'm really good at it there's always room where something could do with improving or improvement is there and I think that's that is a an element that that could be a potential barrier and yeah and, and I think that's you know there's a real skill for the coach there isn't mm. there you know, to be able to really pinpoint, um, you know, what the root cause is, yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah. You know, to be able to, you know, to narrow it down to something very, very specific, that if that teacher focuses on that one thing, that that's really going to make a difference. Yeah. That's tricky. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, I think I think it was Daisy Christodoulou that that spoke about the the idea of talk, talking about curriculum, but the the, the, the elements link in in terms of it's finding what the biggest is going to have the biggest impact and focusing on that element as opposed to trying to do everything that falls into it yeah it's trying to find something that's small and, and specific and granular but it's going to have a big impact yeah yeah that, there's an art to that in itself and, and he's also gonna have have a knock-on effect on other things it's like you know 10 pin bowling isn't it you, know, you need to hit the the right pin that's going to spin off yeah. and hit the others over yeah, that, that's what you're trying to do with this. As ever, Sean, your use of uh, concrete examples is exceptional. And, uh, and I like to hear that. Sports references as well. Um, okay, so th- those, what about the, the idea of it, the expert to the novice? How do you think that terminology could be perceived? Um, again, I think that's, that's a cultural thing for schools to be thinking about. And, uh, you know, whilst it's important to have an understanding of, of, of that theory... I think, you know, if, if there's an, an acceptance that, you know, people can have more expertise in areas of, you know, teaching than, you know, you might have, then, then that's fine, isn't it? I mean, I've, you know, I've been teaching for over 20 years, but I, I don't consider myself to be expert in, in all aspects of, you know, my teaching. And, and you know, the remote teaching has been yeah. a great example of that, hasn't it? Um, you know, I've, I've learned a huge amount from, um, you know, people that have been teaching two, three or four years time. So, you know, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's a, a, a cultural thing, a school culture thing and an acceptance that the, the expertise, you know, kind of flows, doesn't it? Yeah. Really? And I think that's really useful because I think a lot of, a lot of people, may have the idea that the expert is the person that's been doing it for the longest but people have got expertise in very very different fields yeah um, and I think that the way that is done is going to be a fine art to how how to embed instructional coaching yeah yeah and you know just just you know an, an understanding of you know some people are better than you at doing things and and that's that's fine you know that 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 doesn't make you awful or or bad that's 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 just life it's about embracing that and you know learning from it yeah but but at the same time you know i don't want to underestimate 
you know the complexities of that yeah. in, in terms of school leaders and you know, teachers having having to work that through. I think that is, you know, that that is a real issue. You know, seeing that from a theoretical point of view, but then the practicalities of actually implementing that in, in yeah. a school and, you know, dealing with people's sensitivities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, that that's that's complex. Yeah, um, and then the next thing I want to talk about was how how are you sort of using this the idea of instructional coaching? What's your sort of path with it? Um, in your setting? Well, I think like all things, you know, what I've learned, um, you know, my natural position is always, you know, I know that I can be a little bit like Tigger, you know, <laughs> I, I'll hear about something and I'll get excited about it and I, I just want to do it across the whole school everyone does it and, and that's it but uh, you know experience has you know, taught me and also just just in terms of you know the work that we were doing as a research school around effective implementation that actually you're usually better off starting off small um you know getting success from there and then you know, growing that from a place of success so you know it's 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 been happening here uh you know durrington um but I don't think it's it is it what well, it hasn't been happening in any kind of coordinated way, yeah. So I think that's that's our our next step is kind of you know looking to see the people or the departments where it has been happening, um, and how that's that's been successfully used and starting to learn from that, and also learning from other uh, other other schools and you know other people. So. Um, Jack Tabasoli Marsh, who's one of our ELEs for Farnham Heath End School, um, you know, they've been doing quite a lot of work on this. So you know, I've I've got a, a Zoom meeting with you know, Jack next next week, and you know, I really look forward to hearing about how he's implemented it and the challenges they've had and how they've overcome it. But you know, I think it's about you know taking it slow, and you know building it small, and then you know building it from a um, a place of success really yeah, because I want to get it right because I, I, I really do believe that it's got you know great potential and you know I want it to be successful. Yeah I completely agree and um, where would you sort of suggest if there are people that want to find more out about instructional coaching obviously that the blog is, is a great place to start but is there any other sort of areas you think that people could uh, find some information out about well, it? Well yeah I know I made sure in the blog that I you know linked to all the people that I mentioned earlier on who have been doing some brilliant work on it. Um, I suppose my, you know, one of my first starting points was a you know, video presentation by you know, Mike Hobbis, who, who outlined this. You know, he's been doing some really, really good work on it. Professor Becky Allen and Sam Sims, um, you know, they're linked in the blog. Harry Fletcher Wood is you're doing some really, really good thinking around CPD. Um, all of those people are abs absolutely fantastic and, and just make a really compelling case for it. And I think you know, what, what, what really drives me is, is this idea that you know, the quality of teaching really, really matters. It's, it's, it, it really matters to student attainment. And, and that quote in the blog from Becky Allen, and I'll just read it out. The overall attainment in a school deteriorates when the measurably effective teachers leave the school and the attainment of pupils in schools increases when teachers who are effective in other settings arrive in the school. Okay, so, you know, if, if ever you need a reason to be, you know, really focusing your energies and time 
on improving the quality of teaching in your school. Well, that's it, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 so important. And and again, yeah, that that's not, you know, because you know schools are full of really really bad teachers. Of course, they're not. But all of us can get that little bit better. But I think the CPD mechanisms that have been put in place in schools haven't necessarily allowed that because they haven't thought about you know, things like habit formation and, 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 and how we address that. And that's what's so exciting about this work, I think. Yeah, no, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And it's very much a case of uh, watch this space at, at Durrington. But thank you very much for taking the time to, to join me today. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, James. Thank you for listening to the class teaching podcast by Durrington Research School. It's the class teaching podcast with James Crane.